when we're dealing with the name of the Almighty or the character of the Almighty, it's something that we have to treat with the utmost respect and dignity. It's not something that we can just bandy around and, and often there have been arguments and so forth about these things as well. Tonight we're going to try and look at the scriptures, uh, a little bit of um, uh, testimony from language experts, and of course I'm not uh, a, an expert in, in ancient languages or anything like that, but hopefully what we consider tonight is going to be useful in our consideration of this subject in trying to gradually come to a, a clearer understanding of what God's name is and the purpose that God gives us in his name. So we, we've entitled it The Concealed Errors. Now, we really only get to that at the very end of our study tonight. In the study next time, we will consider God's name in the New Testament. And of course, people's immediate reaction is, well, God's name doesn't occur in the New Testament. Uh, but we will look at God's name in the New Testament and also some interesting information which I believe has come to light in recent times from, from scholars as far as that con that's concerned. On the third night, we will just consider the, the meaning of God, the, the, the use of God's name. Now, of course, uh, God's name occurs 7,000 times in the Old Testament. So I'm not going to touch on every one of those. I'll leave a few of them uh, untouched on. But... We're going to touch on some of the useful ones. And so we come to, uh, we're going to start tonight with looking at Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. Verse 16 and 17. And they that feared Yahweh spake one with another, and I'm presuming, of course, that the capital L-O-R-D refers to Yahweh. I think we'll establish that. I don't think there's really an argument about that in scholarly circles nowadays, but... Uh, and Yahweh hearkened and heard, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared Yahweh and that thought upon his name. Now, we have an interesting comment here, just a few hundred years before the New Testament scriptures come to us, very end of the Old Testament scriptures, the book, book of Malachi, and, and it talks about those that feared or had great reverence or respect for, for the Almighty, and the thought upon his name. We're going to come back to that at the very end of the class tonight. But you'd have to think, look, he's setting it up here. And he says, there's a book of remembrance written. This is the book of life. And in that book of life that was written before the Almighty and those that reverence God, it has a list of those that thought upon his name, whatever that means. And they shall be mine, saith Yahweh of hosts, in the day that I do make even a peculiar treasure, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. And so right at the end of the Old Testament, we have this, this rather dramatic saying that those that are going to be in the book of life are those that think on God's name. And so whatever we come to, to, to imagine or understand about God's name, we're told here that, that those that are going to be written in the book of life are going to be people that think upon his name. And so this would undoubtedly indicate to us that it's important to know his name and to know what we should be thinking about. But history shows us that men have regularly concealed his name for various reasons. 
And we'll look at some of that in the class tonight. People have covered up his name. They've concealed his name. But here we're told that it's important to know his name and to know what we should be thinking about that name. Now, a name is important in the Bible. So I'm taking a slightly different tack with our study tonight and, and look at, well, um, a name is important in the Bible. Now, we know that God changed certain people's names. And you have to say that if he was changing people's names, that there was an importance placed upon those names. Name of Abraham, name of Abram that he changed to Abraham, father of many nations. All right, there was in, he was building into the, the new name of Abram something about the future. Paul in Romans says he called him the father of many nations when he didn't have any children. He's able to call the future before it happens. So was that important? Well, God was the one that changed the name here. God was the one that gave this name to Abraham. A couple of generations later on, he changed the name of Jacob, that means supplanter, to Israel, a prince with ale or a prince with God. And once again, you'd have to say, well, it obviously was important for God to bother doing that. You know? And, of course, Israel becomes the name of the nation in due course of time. It's not called Jacob, it's called Israel. And the, and the impetus for that came from God. God says, I'm going to change your name because he thought that the name was important. With Zacharias coming across the New Testament and God tells him that he's going to have a son and, of course, he, he didn't think that was important, he didn't think that was true. He and Elizabeth had been tried to have a family for a long time. Now, they're now old and, and the angel says to him, well, you're going to have you're going to have a son. He's, oh, yeah, right. Okay. Uh, sure things. And uh, um, pigs will fly, so to speak. And, and we know that he was made dumb. He couldn't speak until the moment when people said, what are we going to call this boy? And Elizabeth said, we're going to call his name John. And obviously, Zacharias had imparted the message to Elizabeth, his wife, and said they're going to call him John. And people said, what do you mean, John? There's no one else in the family called John. And at that moment, he was able to speak. He said, yes, his name is going to be called John. So do these things matter? Well, we're seeing quite a few names in, in the Bible. There's a whole lot more that we could add to this list. A few more we'll look at on the next slide in actual fact. He says, look, um, uh, his name is going to be called John. Jesus. Joseph, his stepfather, was told in a dream by an angel that his name was going to be Jesus. Now, the word Jesus comes to us uh, from, the, from the Greek. What he was called day to day was Yahshua because he was going to save the people from their sins. And Yahshua really means the salvation of Yahweh, really the salvation of Yah. And, 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 and Joseph was told this is going to be his name. Why? Because it was going to reflect the, the purpose that he was going to have in his life. It was going to reflect the work that God was going to do through him. Of course, later on, the Apostle Paul, who was named Saul to start off with, um, off the top of my head, I think Saul meant high father or something like that. I, don't know, I can't remember what Saul meant. Someone, what does Saul mean? Sunday school days? No? <laughs> All right. Uh, but God changes it to Paul. His name gets changed to Paul. And... And there's obviously a reflection of the role and the, 
and the, and the humility that Paul was going to have in his new life. And so does it matter? Well, God intervenes a number of times. There's quite a few others we could add to that list in which God goes to the trouble of saying what someone's name was going to be. The people have just ignored it and said, we don't care, we're not interested, we don't worry about it, we just we like our, we like our old name, thank you very much, like our old name. Um, well, of course, that wasn't the case. When God changed your name, your name was changed. Um, in the... What we have in the incident in, in Daniel where Daniel and his three friends, they had names. Now, their parents had thought that their names were important. Daniel... Ael, God is my judge. And, Belshazzar, uh, and, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes along and says, well, that's no good. We don't want you being reminded of Ael, the, the, the God of Israel. We'll change your name to, um, to Belshazzar, dedicated to Bel, the chief God of Babylon. So instead of when people call you Daniel and you think about uh, God is your judge or Ael is your judge, you're going to be reminded of the gods of, of Babylon. Hananiah, Yahweh has, Yah has been gracious to Shadrach, inspired of the sun god. And you can see the, 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 the purpose of the names of, the, of the, the young men that were given to them by their parents. They all involve a title or the name of God. So when people spoke to them, they'd be reminded of the God of Israel. And when Nebuchadnezzar came along, he changed all of their names to names that involved uh, his gods. And so a name's important. It's interesting through the book of Daniel that we still keep on hearing about him as Daniel. His name is preserved despite what Nebuchadnezzar said. And so in Daniel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, all the Hebrew names referred to uh, their God, to Yahweh, by name or by title. All of the Babylonian names referred to the Babylonian gods and reflected what the Babylonians were trying to do. They're trying to change their mindset move their mind away from the things of the God of, of Israel to the gods of the Babylonians. And so the thoughts that are constantly brought to their minds by the use of their names were going to be totally different. This was part of the strategy of Nebuchadnezzar to divert their attention uh, to the gods of the Chaldeans. Yes. Oh, at the top there. Um, it's not on my screen, so I don't know how to do that. Um, I think that's from the Zoom. No, if you want to have a look, you're welcome. Okay, it's not showing on my screen, so I've got no idea. Sorry, as long as you don't lose my screen. <laughs> Thank you. All good. Uh, actually, you need your mouse back. I certainly will need my mouse back again. Yes. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> okay, right. I think you can see what I'm seeing, which is good. Thanks, Dan. Okay, so we can see that names were important in the Bible. Okay, so if a name is given by God in particular, then it's especially important. I think if we can establish that principle, when we come to consider God's name, it becomes even more important. And so the translation of names. Now, what do you do if you're trying to translate a name from one language to another, to another language? 
a name is very different from a title or a job description. Okay, my name is Greg Hearn. Now, this enables people to search out and define me, to find out things about me. Uh, enables people from the other side of the world, even nowadays, to locate me, um, to find out who's related to me, to find out who my ancestors were, find out who my children are and my grandchildren, uh, and, and so forth. So the name, that, so Greg Hearn's my name, but titles, I've had few, quite a few titles in, in my life. Um, I'm a teacher. In my t as, a t as a teacher, I was referred to as Sir, as Mr., sometimes Mr. Hearn, sometimes some other things which uh, they didn't actually say to my face as such, uh, which were <laughs> titles for the schoolyard, I suppose. Um, my colleagues referred to me as Greg, the uh, mathematics teacher, a teacher in charge, head of department, um, particular number by the educational, educational department. So as far as the education department was concerned, I was just a number. Um, none of those other things were particularly important. I'm referred to by my children as dad, and that demonstrates a certain relationship, sometimes anyway. Um, this gives some information about me. It tells people that I am the father of people that call me dad. Um, but there's lots of dads in the world. If you wanted to identify, someone said, we want to find dad. Well, there's an awful lot of dads, awful lot of dads. Dad isn't a very good identifier. I'm also a school board member, so that's a title, perhaps. Um, all of this is useful information about me, but nothing identifies me in the same way as my name. Right? A name is an identifier. And you can change your name, and that makes it really hard to identify people sometimes. I know people have changed their name. Uh, and it becomes a bit harder to, to even remember who they are sometimes. But if you wanted to find someone that was a, a husband, a father, a grandfather, a teacher, a school board member, so we've got all the titles, and we say, we want to find someone that satisfies all these qualities, would that point anyone in the world to me? Of course not. There's lots of people that have got that particular group, that particular set of titles except for people around me, perhaps people in this room might identify me by those titles, but, but wider than that, it doesn't identify me. The titles give information about me, but don't identify me. The names and titles of or the, the name of God should be transliterated. So when we're changing from one language to another, there's various ways in which you can do it. You can actually take the original name and just pull it and put it into the new language. Now, sometimes that's done. Sometimes language, uh, sometimes names are, are, are translated. Okay, so if you go somewhere, it may be possible there's an equivalent word in the other language which is used to translate your name. Now, of course, when people are translated from one language to another, they take a word in the old language and they, they, they make an equivalent word in the new language. Sometimes that can happen with names, but as often as not, you transliterate it. You just take it across. Okay, so the purpose of uh, translation is to give um, a meaning in the new language. So when we come to the titles of God, they should, in my opinion, be translated. 
shouldn't take the Hebrew word and put it across because they're not names, they're, they're words that mean something and should have an equivalent word in the, in the um, in, in our case, in the English or the Greek or whatever it might, is you might happen to be. But with a name, you should transliterate it. You should just take it straight across without changing it. Uh, when someone says your name in a different language or different accent, it's not a problem. I've been to the Philippines and people referred to me as Gregoire. They didn't have, they didn't have a Gregory or a Greg. It was, they, 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 they took the name of someone else that they knew that was similar to that and it was Gregoire. Now, I didn't have any problem there. There was no confusion. It wasn't a matter of saying, who are you, who are you talking to? I knew they were talking to me or talking about me probably more about me than to me, um, but I, I, I could. it was an identifier from their language. Okay, now we, we find that uh, often it's possible to, to get an equivalent in, a, in another language, sometimes it's not, but the accent doesn't matter. If you get a name, if you get a Texan saying your name with a big, big wide drawl or whatever else, or you get someone with received pronunciation in England, uh, like the Queen saying your name, they're going to sound different. It doesn't actually matter that there's a different accent or a different, a different stress on things. And sometimes people have said uh, that this is important. You've got to get exactly the, how a name was said in an ancient way. That's not necessarily the case. There is variations in a name which still, which still leaves a, um, a name meaning the same thing. If, however, I went up to Alex here and instead of calling Alex, I called him Peter. He said, he said to me, no, my name is Alex. Even sometimes I call him Axel, but never mind. Uh, even realises that's probably reasonably the similar. But uh, I say Peter. He says, no, my name's not Peter. It's Alex. Oh, Peter. Now, after a while, he's going to get a bit annoyed. He, there's no equivalence between that Peter and the, and the Alex. They're totally different names, and people would be somewhat, um, somewhat um, concerned if you kept on calling them by a different name. Now, the word God, the word God means something to us today. We have some sort of an idea of what God means, but it's really in the English just a contraction of the word good. So God is really a matter of saying the good one. The concept of God in the Bible is much more than this. That's why there are many Hebrew titles are used of the Almighty. And so simply to have the word God is not sufficient to describe him. Of course, also, there are many gods. Uh, if you would look up the Hindu religion, they have some, some two million gods. So if you go to a Hindu and say, I believe in God, they say, oh, very good, very good, that's, 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 that's wonderful. Um, which one of the gods do you believe in? And they don't even know all the gods. They don't know, no one knows two million gods, but they've got two million gods. And, and some people worship one and the elephant fellow and whatever else and, and all sorts of other different gods. And so to simply say that you believe in God doesn't really define anything very much at all. And for some people, God is just the, the universe. 
of other people. God is a specific, you know, an idol. They bow, bow down to worship and so forth. So it's not very defining to say you believe in God. The word Lord that occurs in our Bible, of course, is even more deficient. But there are many human lords. In, in England, they have a house of lords. And it's a whole lot of people that have got titles in the aristocracy and so forth. And, and they go and sit in the House of Lords, which is the upper house of parliament, uh, simply because they've got a, a title. And, and in fact, in, in English, English aristocracy, people would say, yes, my Lord, to someone of a higher status than them. Or they'd refer to Lord such and such. I always, always remember Lord Sandwich. Um, I think, oh, gosh. But so the title Lord doesn't really mean an awful lot, except that it's someone who is a bit superior to you. None of the lords would consider themselves to have a name of Lord. They might be Lord such and such, Lord Sandwich, I'm sure, uh, or, or whatever it happened to be, but you have to have a name there as well. You have a title and a name. No one considers that Lord is a name. So identification. So a name is important for identification. But there are many gods worshipped in the world. To say that you believe in God does not really tell the hearer who or what you worship, what your beliefs are, what your practices are. To say that you worship the Lord, look, he's the Lord of the manor. People in the, in the old feudal system, if they worship the Lord of the manor, they, and to a certain extent they almost did, had to do whatever he told them uh, and so forth. So Moses asked the, vo the voice from the burning bush to tell him what he would answer when asked, who had sent him. It's a matter of identification. And why did he have to do that? Couldn't he just say, God sent me or the Lord sent me? Of course, in Egypt, there were hundreds, thousands of gods, the God of the river, the God of the sun, the God of the frogs, and the uh, God of the lice and God of the wood heap and whatever else. And so to simply go and say that God had sent you doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make any sense. It does, it's no matter of identification. Now, if you were to search for my name on the internet, Greg Kern, there might be some other Greg Kearns in the world somewhere or other, but there'd be a reasonably small list and you could probably then uh, hone it down to, to whichever person you're looking for. But to say that God or the Lord had sent him would not give the information that the people of Israel were interested in. The person in the bush identifies himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, that identifies him to a certain extent, but they're all titles. Each of those was Elohim. I'm the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, the Elohim of Jacob. But then he tells Moses his name. He tells Moses his name, and his name is important because God gives him a, himself a name. And if it was important for him to name Abraham and Jacob and Jesus and, and so forth, then when he gives himself a name, then obviously that name is important. Now, God's name occurs some 7,000 times in the Old Testament with 26 occurrences in the form of hallelujah, which means praise Yah. Another 24 times is Yah. And then there's various titles such as Elohim, uh, Adonai, Elohim, which occurs some 2,000 times. Now, we're not talking about some 
little obscure reference here. We're not saying, hey, this is just some little, uh, little passage hidden away in one of the minor prophets and we've got a disagreement about it. God inspires his, the writers of the Bible to record his name approximately 7,000 times. You'd have to say, look, there's some, something important going on here. It's not just an incidental thing that is of no value or no importance. This is an astonishing number of times. And yet men in their wisdom, by the time of Christ, the Jewish people had decided that you shouldn't say the name. Were they inspired to do that? Was there some instruction from one of the prophets that towards the end of the New Testament says you shouldn't say the name of God, that he had caused to be written some 7,000 times in the Scriptures? Now, this is from Wikipedia. This isn't me. This isn't me writing this passage. Okay, this is a scholarly writing. Um, in fact, if you were to read it, you're going to read it on Wikipedia, a lot of the section goes through scholarly stuff that's way above my pay grade. Right? The, 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 the level of, um, of, um, of skill that some of these writers have gone to, the trouble they've gone through in looking at all sorts of isolated little fragments of parchments and so forth, numbering them all, naming them all, looking how, how, how this happens and how that happens, as I said, but this is just the, the opening introductory paragraphs. And this isn't me saying this. This is from a very scholarly writing uh, in the Wikipedia at the moment. The Tetragrammaton. And, and basically the Tetragrammaton simply means the four letters that were written in the Bible for the name of God. Right? It's transliterated as YHWH. You notice what he says here. He says it's the name of the biblical God of Israel. And this is, this is a, a really unfortunate part in the sense that, that scholars today say this Yahweh was just a local God of the nation of Israel. They recognise that it was Yahweh was the, was the God of Israel, but they say it was just a localised God of the nation of Israel. Fail to realise that this is the creator of heaven and earth. The four letters, and I'll just show you the four letters. I'm sure many of you, most of you have seen it on the next screen. So that's the four letters. Read from right to left as Hebrew is, uh, yod he, he, wa, and he. So that's what he's referring to in the article here. He says, while there is no consensus about the structure and etymology of the name, the form Yahweh is now accepted almost universally. But there, there really isn't any argument anymore amongst scholars as to what the name of God in the Bible is. And there's all sorts of detailed analysis of, of, of why this is so and so forth. But the form of Yahweh is now accepted almost universally. So where we come across the Tetragrammaton in the Hebrew Bible 7,000 times, it, it, it really means the name Yahweh. The books of the Torah and the rest of the Hebrew Bible, except Esther, Ecclesiastes, and possibly the Song of Solomon, contain this Hebrew name. 
Observant Jews and those who follow Talmudic Jewish traditions do not pronounce Yahweh, nor do they read aloud uh, proposed transcription forms such as Yahweh or Yehovah. Instead, they replace it with a different term, uh, whether in addressing or referring to the God of Israel. Common substitutions in Hebrew is Adonai, which is one of the titles of God, which is reasonably well translated as Lord. So Adonai, Adonai, there's no point of saying Adonai. The word, the word Adonai literally means Lord as we understand Lord today. Hashem. So they come to the name and they say Hashem, the name. They're saying the name's here, but I'm not going to say the name. It's written in the Bible here, but I'm not going to say it. And Akadosh uh, Baruch, who? The Holy One, blessed be he. Now, it's a bit of a mouthful every time they come to the name of God in the Bible, some 7,000 times. And so this is, as I said, this isn't me. Uh, this is from Wikipedia in a very scholarly article. goes through pages and pages of, uh, of stuff. And, and it says the form Yahweh is now accepted almost universally. And so if you were to come across it in the Hebrew Bible, written in Hebrew, that's what is written. Four consonants. And the problem with four consonants, of course, is how to say it. Now, modern scholars, and once again, this is from Wikipedia. Okay, modern scholars generally believe that YHWH is derived from the Hebrew, uh, and I'm not going to go through all the details of the, the grammar that he's referring to there. He says it means to be, to become, come to pass. Right now, there's a lot of dispute amongst scholars about what the name Yahweh means. But he says, look, it comes from this root to be, become, come to pass. And we're talking in a moment about why there is, why I believe there is problems with trying to understand the name. He said it's a third person masculine. Uh, the Y prefix makes it uh, a um, the masculine equivalent to English he. They connected to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where the divinity spoke with Moses, responds to a question about his name by declaring, Aya Asha Aya. And I'm sure I didn't get the accent right with that in the Hebrew, but that's the equivalent, uh, English equivalent of it. And, of course, it's translated in many Bibles as I am that I am. But as the article goes on here, he says, or I will be what I will be. And he says, in biblical Hebrew, the form of the verb here is not associated with any particular English tense. Right? So this is the scholar that's writing this. Now, the... I believe what happens here is that a lot of Bibles translated as I am that I am is sort of like I am what I am, you know. Oh, no one's going to change me. I'm not going to change in any way. I am what I am. Whereas in actual fact, as we're going to see, the meaning I will be what I will be refers to what God is going to become in the future. Now, of course, if you belong to the churches and so forth, you wonder, well, what's that going to be? People live and die and their souls go to heaven, they get a reward, they have their salvation and so forth. Where's this God becoming um, what he's going to become? And, of course, it has obvious implications there of God manifestation. And, of course, when you start to tie that up with Malachi, of people thinking about God's name, it, it really means quite a lot. It appears that the name here is in a continuing imperfect tense. There is no equivalent in the English. There is no English tense that matches what is being here. 
it would appear to me mean he who is becoming. So from my reading in various different places, so this is me writing these notes here, uh, it's he who is becoming. That's what the name means. It's, it's not a present tense. It's not just a future tense, but it's he who, it's a continuing tense, the imperfect tense in Hebrew, he who is becoming. And when used in conjunction with other titles, it can speak of God manifestation, which is why many scholars fail to comprehend the meaning of the name. Yahweh is the God who's going to be manifested in other people. And next week, the next time when we look at it, and Jesus says, I have manifested your name. There is an exact and a perfect fulfillment of that name. Uh, and of course, first and foremost, most is manifested in his son and then in others who, who treasure his character and wish to become a reflection of the most high. How can God become something or someone else? He is what he is. They fail to comprehend the wonderful purpose of God getting people to be like him. Now, we don't wish to talk too much about English versions tonight, but of course, we know that where the, the translators tell us that where there's capital Lord, uh, Lord in capital letters or God in capital letters, that is a suppression of the name Yahweh. In the Hebrew, the tetragrammaton occurs in each of those places. And this was uh, done following on the practice of Jews in the first century BC. Um, the problem with when it's hidden in the, in the Hebrew text or in the English text is only the person reading it gets to know what's there. If you're reading to someone else, they have no idea. The hearer has no idea of the fact that the divine name is being, uh, is being referred to there. And in the English one, it's only people that know the code and most people don't. Most people that read the English Bible think it's saying Lord or God. They've got no idea the code is saying that that is uh, the, the tetragrammaton. That is the, the name of God occurring in those places. And so in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 5, we've got the, and this is a beautiful passage. And Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood by him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God full of compassion and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy and truth. And so here we find that Yahweh is now associating his name with his character. And the two things become intertwined together totally. It's not just Yahweh as a name, you know, like you, you get a name. I say um, Peter, that's just a name. But we find here that Yahweh is saying that his name is intertwined with his character. And what a beautiful character it is there. And just to give a, a hint for the, the, the end of the slide, we looked at in Malachi chapter 3 people to think upon his name. It's not thinking upon his name in the abstract. It's not thinking upon his name and saying, oh, Yahweh, what a beautiful name. Oh, I love the syntax of that. Oh, this is beautiful. What a wonderful name. It's to do with his purpose. How can I become part of God? How can I have these characteristics that are God's characteristics revealed in my life? How can people see me the same way as they see Yahweh? That's what thinking upon the, the God, Yahweh, Yahweh's name in Malachi 3 is all about, keeping mercy for thousands and so forth. And 
we'll run out of time, so I'm going to have to keep going. I'm sorry, but I'm sure you know the passage here, the beautiful passage. And so God's name of Yahweh is associated with his wonderful character, which will lead to him forgiving the sins of the faithful. This is the process of God manifestation, of bringing people to be like him, to be a copy of him. Now, this is just a, a very brief slide. It's showing the number of times the Tetragrammaton occurs in the various books of the Bible. It's something like Jeremiah, 726 times and so forth. It's not something that's hidden away in the Bible. It's something which occurs 7,000 times. Now, there's been a constant battle for Yahweh to be known. Right back in, in Exodus chapter 3, God sends, Yahweh sends Moses to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's response in Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2 is, and he says, who said to let, let the people go? Yahweh did. Who's Yahweh that I should hearken to his voice to let Israel go? I know not Yahweh, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh was totally oblivious of who Yahweh was. He was oblivious of the power of Yahweh. He didn't realize that he was dealing with the creator of heaven and earth. He didn't realize he was dealing with the one that made everything. Who's Yahweh that I should let his voice go? But in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11, when he had delivered Israel from Egypt, there was no doubt. Who is like unto you, O Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And there was no doubt amongst the Egyptians and amongst the, the Israelites as to who Yahweh was or how much power he had. When Israel and Egypt, well, Israel and Egypt and the Canaanites knew who Yahweh was. We remember that Rahab, she'd heard about Yahweh from a long distance away. And when she had an opportunity to associate herself with Yahweh, she took that opportunity with both hands. She said, I want to be part of this and my family too. All of us, we want to be associated with Yahweh. We've heard about what he's done to the Egyptians from a long way away. And that had been 40 years before. In Exodus chapter 6 and verse 3, Yahweh tells Moses that he was known to Abraham by the title uh, El Shaddai, God Almighty, but not by Yahweh. Um, this is a little bit of a strange thing because Abraham certainly know, knew who the name of Yahweh. In Genesis 12 and verse 8, it says that he, 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 he turned his attention to Yahweh. He, he worshipped Yahweh. It's suggested that the idea here is of knowing. Um, that's the question. What does the knowing mean? And possibly Abraham had no concept of, of, of the great multitudes of people that, that Yahweh was going to be manifested in as he, as he chose the nation of Israel, as he chose the people in the future. Uh, as to whether that's the, the, the answer for it, it's a little bit hard to say. Some people suggest that it's actually a, a quest, the comment's actually a question. Uh, and it's possible it could be that as well. Uh, the term El Shaddai, uh, God Almighty, is a, time that, is a term that's almost used exclusively in Genesis. But there's no doubt about the fact that Abraham and the other patriarchs knew Yahweh and they, they worshipped uh, Yahweh as their God. Now, later on, of course, we find that the worship of Yahweh was overshadowed by the worship of Baal and other Canaanite gods at various stages. 
What happened to the temple? Temple got shut up. Book of the law got shut in the shut in the temple. Who's Yahweh? They're out there worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth and all, all sorts of other gods there um, because they, they they their worship was was based on on human desires and so forth. They preferred to worship these these idols. With Elijah on Mount Carmel, of course, we know that Hezekiah opened the temple, cleaned it out, found the book of the law, and, and proclaimed the name of Yahweh and taught people about the God Yahweh. With Elijah on Mount Carmel, 400 prophets of Baal. And Elijah says, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? If Yahweh be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. And they waited to see the display of power that Yahweh was able to do and the consuming of their sacrifice on the altar there. It's interesting here that the word Baal is translated as Lord. If you were to have translated, translated this uh, passage, it would have been, um, if you translated Yahweh as Lord and Baal as Lord, how long do you hold between two opinions? You're going to worship the Lord or you're going to worship the Lord? It doesn't make any sense but we need to have an understanding here that the names is Baal and then there's Yahweh. And if it's Yahweh, be God, follow him. There's conflict, constant conflict between Yahweh and the false gods, the Canaanites. Of course, eventually it ended up with the Jewish people being taken into captivity into Babylon. Before the Babylonian captivity, the people of Israel had a constant problem with idolatry. But when they came back, Never again. But we find they had a different problem. The problem that was manifested by the Pharisees in the time of Jesus Christ. The word Pharisee means to fence around, to protect something. And that's what they did. They protected the law. They put a fence around the law with so many trivial little laws and ideas and so forth. And what did they do to protect the name? They said, you can't say it. You can't say it. And originally it started off with saying it could only be said by a priest in the temple. And after that, it could only be said by the high priest on the Day of Atonement when they blew the trumpets and he was allowed to whisper it. And you say, what a load of superstition. How absolutely stupid to do that. But that's what they did. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, and this is what they were trying to avoid in 20 verse 7, you shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain for Yahweh, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So he said, don't ever say it. Don't ever say it and you won't be taking the name of Yahweh in vain. Of course, it didn't matter how they restricted it. Eventually in Ezekiel, he says, you have profaned my holy name amongst all the nations where you've gone, wherever you've gone. And they, they profaned the holy name without ever saying it. And so what happened in the original Hebrew Bible that only had consonants? You saw it, the tetragrammaton, four consonants. After the Babylonian captivity, they gave responsibility to a certain group of scribes and they said, we want you to go and put in the vowel sounds with points under the words so people know what the word is. Right? So there's a lot of words that have the same, uh, same consonants road or read or uh, all sorts of different words. So how do you know what the word is? And usually the, the sense that the uh, context would tell you. They said, put in the vowel sounds. But, so they did that with all the words, except when they came to the 
Y-H-W-H. They said, well, we don't actually want people to say this word. So we'll put the vowels for Elohim underneath it or the vowel for Adonai, depending on what other word was adjacent. They didn't want to have Adonai, Adonai. Didn't want to have Elohim, Elohim. And so they said, we'll put the, and, and it wasn't intended they would read the YHWH with the vowels there. That's a mistake the Protestants came to later on. That's where the, the name Jehovah comes from. But it was simply to prompt people to say, when you come to the name, you will say Elohim or Adonai instead of saying the word Yahweh. And so they gradually managed to um, suppress the name of God altogether. This was the beginning of the big concealment that was going to last for over 2,000 years, still is going on today in multiple languages. The scriptures never suggested that people should not read the 7,000 occurrences where YHWH occurred in scripture. It was a man-made superstition that followed through with confusion and superstition ever since that time. It followed into the Greek, Latin, English, and today virtually every other language that the Bible has been translated to, where the name is totally concealed. It's suggested by the second century BC, the priest said that they alone should say the name of Yahweh in the temple, holy lips in a holy place. That's the only place, the only time that anyone should say the name of Yahweh. By the time of Christ, only the high priest should say it on the Day of Atonement. Now, that's what the priest's attitude was. It doesn't mean to say that other people didn't read it and use it. And it appears that many people did not follow this practice. And by the time of Christ, Jesus himself obviously still used his father's name and knew what it meant. And we'll look at that in the next class. Profaning God's holy name. Have a look at this in Ezekiel 36 and verse 20 uh, to verse 23. This is talking about their, 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 their dispersion amongst the nations from AD 70. From AD 70, the Jews weren't even saying the name of God, but he says, wherever you've gone, you profane my holy name. He said, I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. And then in verse 22, he says, but for the sake of my heart, I'm going to bring you back, O house of Israel, not for your sakes, but for the sake of my holy name which you profaned among the nations to which you came. Verse 23, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. And they never even said the name, but because they're identified with God, they brought scorn and ridicule upon God and his name. And so the name of God has been often referred to by scholars as the incommunicable or ineffable name. You can read it, you can't say it. A name that could be read uh, but not spoken in Hebrew, but not even read in other languages unless you know the code. Although the intention originally was to treat God's name with great respect and reverence, it ended up being a superstitious thing and destroyed the whole purpose of God revealing his name. Where's the identification? Who's the God that you worship? Who's the God that you worship? What are your practices and your beliefs that are identified with worshipping that God? Yahweh has caused his name to be written some 7,000 times only for men to cover it up and to conceal it. 
And so we go back to our starting quote from Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then they that feared Yahweh spake one with another, and Yahweh heard. He hearkened, he hearkened, he responded and heard. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared Yahweh and that thought upon his name. It's not just a matter, saying a matter of thinking about God. It specifically says thought upon his name. So what are they going to think about? Well, we saw the connection in Exodus 34 about the, the character of God associated with that, but it's more than that, isn't it? He will be, he is becoming who he will. And it means that people are going to sit down and think, well, how can I become part of God? How can God be manifested in me? Do I have the character of God, loving mercy and kindness and goodness and so forth, forgiving, forgiving uh, thousands of people and so forth? Is that seen in me? Am I a reflection of God and his character? And I believe that's what it means, that they thought upon his name and were told that they were written in the book of life. How do you know what it is to think about the name of God if you don't even know what his name is? To avoid the name of God is to lose one of the great privileges of knowing God. It brings another dimension to his salvation message when we understand that he is working to make us copies of himself. When we know his amazing and beautiful character and think about how we can become a copy of him. And so what was happening here some 2,000 years ago was a deliberate concealing of God's name. But we know from the rest of the Old Testament scriptures that we've looked at there that he wants us to think about it. He wants us to understand it. And so he's not going to tell us to think about something that's got no meaning. We know all the names that he gave to men all had meaning, all had a purpose. And so I believe that what we see here looking at the, the scriptures there gives us a very clear indication of the fact that we need to know his name, we need to understand it, and we need to tie it in with his character.